is not necessarily about writing great songs. It's about growth as a person. How do you express yourself? How do you use language? How do you develop a melody? And and you're learning that with every song you write, and then eventually that does result in opportunities. You know, after you've yeah. learned those, it's you know fundamentals. Between the Grooves is hosted by James Curtis, music director and morning man in the greater Toronto area on Joy Radio, and Aisha Woods, Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, and musician. Together, they talk with artists and industry insiders to discover our connection between music and faith. You can connect with us on Facebook or Twitter, at Between Grooves. Now, here's James and Aisha. Between the Grooves, episode 265 with James Curtis and Aisha Woods. How are you, Aisha? Hello, hello. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing well. Doing well. I'm Good. I'm enjoying this season because, uh, well, I've told you this before, I'm, I'm a summer fan, so I'm looking forward to all the things that are coming in the future. It's already started with summer festivals and everything else. Yes. Um, I, just, yes. I just enjoy that. And, and I, I like walking out of the house with shorts you know, slip on the flip flops or sandals or whatever, and you don't have sure. to. In Canada, we've got the winter coats in the winter time and scarves and mitts or gloves, and and it's just nice <laughs> to be able to walk out and not have to worry about all that stuff. You know, that's so nice. We've actually just finished uh, the first annual family vacation yep. with my side of the family. Um, everyone came down from Dallas, and it was wonderful. It was hot, but it was really, really nice. Uh, it's something that we look forward to every year. Well, it is time to get to our conversation with Michael Bethany. Now, you you know Michael, don't you? I do. I know Michael. And um, we have mutual friends that have been in ministry together for years on end. And um, we've recently been reconnected. So I'm excited to talk to him and find out what all he has going on in this season in his life. He's been pretty active in the gospel community, and he's been involved in a lot of award-winning artists. He's a singer, he's a songwriter, he's a worship leader, pastor, recording artist, and of course a dad. Uh, Really looking forward to this conversation as well. Michael Bethany on Between the Grooves. Well, you're not looking at us. There's no video. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is just audio. This is just audio. Yes, yeah. it's just audio. Okay, great then. We awesome. could we could you know probably paste a picture of ourselves on the on the screen. No, no. Okay, it's worth a shot. <laughs> so, Michael, you I understand you come from a musical family. Uh, I do absolutely. What does that entail as far as uh, your family is concerned? Like everybody can sing, everybody can play a musical instrument, or all of the above. Yeah, actually. So um, my my mother and father, my mother was an incredible vocalist, and, my, and so was my dad. Uh, my dad played the the electric guitar, and um, you know he was kind of like BB King, George Benson, oh wow, kind of guy. You know he he was really good, and he could. I mean, he had a, he was such a crooner. He could really sing, and um, mm. they they released an album. Um, well, actually, my mother died when I was two, but right before she passed away, they just completed an album and um, mm. an LP back in those days. And so that um, 
that's kind of where I come from. My father was a first generational musician and, and singer because nobody before him had ever sang. And, my, and, and his father was the first Christian in our family. So, wow. you know, I grew up as a pastor's kid because my father, he became a pastor and music was new to my whole family. It was not a thing. And um, but my mother, she came from all that. So just a legacy really through my mother, really, and my dad. And and um, so all my siblings, my father, because he passed at a church, he everyone had a job. And, every, you know, if you didn't play something, you had to learn something. So mm-hmm. bass, mm-hmm. Um, you know, Orient guitar. And, and I was a singer and I had to play the organ and and uh, oh, wow. so we all had something to do. And um, it was very much a part of our life, every every one of us, except for two siblings who somehow got away with it. So <laughs> did you did you inherit any of those guitar playing skills? OK, I didn't inherit it. My father would try to stare me down while he played the guitar, somehow thinking that that would convince me to join him. But I, it, it just made me kind of weird, weirded out. It's like, why are you looking at me? And I couldn't look away. It just thought it was so strange. Like, look, 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 look at me play. Look at me play. Come on. And I, I just wasn't interested. Um, I do play a little now, though. I, I hate that I oh, yeah? did not. I hate that I didn't really embrace it because if I had it would have really been a really great aspect if I had really taken on what he'd done. But however, mm-hmm. yeah, I do play a little now, um, but I primarily play piano. Um, so okay. yeah, that's, that's the side I, I took from that. I, I've uh, mentioned to Aisha in the past about the fact that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, um, it seemed like uh, keyboards were the way to go. And then, and then they kind of, took a, a side stage for a while there were while everybody jumped on their their guitars you know it was almost like uh the guitars were easy to transport and uh it just sure. easy to lead and stuff and then you know solely the keyboard has come back which i think is great because you know getting a good piano sound and i'm, and I'm not talking synthesizer i'm talking like a good piano or like yeah. a hammond organ or something like that getting that groove into the music sounds awesome Absolutely. And what about singing for you? When did that start in your, if you want to call it career, or even in your upbringing at church? Okay, on two sides of that, like as a as a kid, I was always singing. I was always singing at home, but no one was paying attention to me. I I grew up in a home with, with there's seven siblings, but five of us in the home because we had a blended family. So I was okay. I was there's only one younger than me. Everyone was doing something. So my oldest was playing bass. The one under him was singing and playing the organ. The one under him was uh, playing drums and organ. And then there was me. I wasn't doing anything. And then there was a baby boy taking all the attention. So I was just like lost in the shuffle. But one day I sang by accident at church just by chance. It was totally not planned. I, my brother just somehow tricked me into singing Uh while he got to show off this new song he could play and he needed someone to sing. So that's when I discovered I could sing. I was about eight years old. And uh, from that point on, it was like my life changed. Like, oh, oh, he can really sing. And so he can no longer play while we have choir rehearsal. He has to now be in the adult choir. And so I was 80 years (laughs) old in the adult choir. Uh, But that was how it all got started. I say maybe on a uh, career or ministry side of it, maybe that that came along much later. You know, you know. I mean, I started recording as a teenager, really, but I didn't really take okay. it seriously until I was in my early twenties. And my brother and I, which few people know, 
my brother Daryl and I have an album called Daryl and Michael, and that will remain my business. No one's gonna hear it. If you didn't hear it while we were singing the music, you probably won't hear it ever. That's right. funny. But that I mean, given the fact that you were the young singer in the family, did that make you kind of the Michael Jackson of the Bethany family? You know, honestly, sometimes it did come across that way because we had a group called Calvary. And it was all the oh, brothers wow. in this group. And it was like the Jackson Four. <laughs> so, Jackson Four. <laughs> or the, Beth- the, the Bethany Four. Right. And so we would, I was the young one and I would, I would lead songs and it would be, it would always be, who's that little kid? You know, cause I was really short and had this big voice and so much personality. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was kind of a little bit, a little bit of that. <laughs> did you start writing songs at that time or did the songwriting come in a little later? It did come in later. Um, my brother Daryl wrote all the songs for our group, and then after that, okay. I would write little songs. But you know, like there again, when you're the youngest, you do what your older brothers tell you, right? You know, you know. So they'd be like, "Oh, that's corny. We got a better song than that." You know what I mean? And so, <laughs> and that was, you know, so it's like, okay, whatever you say. You know, just like we, I don't know anything, and so. Um, my brother Daryl would, would encourage me to write and, um, and you know, my brother Chuck a little bit, we, we do some stuff, but I wasn't, I didn't think I was that guy, um, for, for some time, but I would always write on my own songs that just between me and the Lord, just, that's it. No one, yeah. just me and God. And I took it seriously. And, but it wasn't until much later when I when I moved to Dallas and I met Fred Hammond, that he took it seriously, and mm. he was the first person that gave me like opportunities to really write. And before then, I never had a serious opportunity to do that. Wow! Did any of those small little choruses or songs that you wrote in the previous years ever come to fruition? As far as you know, being out in the public? No, no, not really. I mean. Because, well, one of them never made it. I wrote this Christmas song before I moved to Dallas, and it did make it because we did a movie called Christmas Who Needs It, which is another film that I don't want you guys to see me in. However, (laughs) (laughs) too late. That's out of the bag now, and you know we're going to do some I just wrote that down. Yeah, I'm going to Google this. Well, here's the point. The point of it is this. The point of it is this. Maybe that's not the name of it. I I can't remember, okay? But here's the point. (laughs) The point is that, (laughs) I'm so sorry, this is so funny. Okay, so the point is, I wrote a song, a Christmas song, before I moved to Dallas, and I I just love, like, um, I just love, like, being Crosby and, you know, all these, like, standard, you know, Christmas songs. Matt King Cole, I just love those. Yes. So I wrote this song in the spirit of that genre, uh, but it was all about Christ. And, you know, okay. you wouldn't know until I get to the bridge that I'm, my point is Christ. So, I mean, it was really beautiful. So Fred heard it, really liked it, and he put it on the closing credits of this Christmas movie. And that was the oh, only wow. thing that ever made it out of that season of my life. And to this day, I've always wanted to record that song and release it because it's still, it's such a beautiful song. 
But that's the only song that's really ever made it out of that season of my life. I've written so many more songs since then. And honestly, most of those songs probably weren't very good. But <laughs> I think songwriting is not necessarily about writing great songs. It's about growth as, an, as a person. How do you express yourself? How do you use language? How do you develop a melody? And And you're learning that with every song you write. And then eventually that does, you know, that does result in potential opportunities, you know, after you've yeah. learned those, you know, fundamentals. How did you learn those fundamentals? Like, what did you go through to learn? Was it the hard way or was it, did you have some kind of mentor that said, no, you need to do this and this and this? Well, be, before I ever had any mentoring, you know, what I, I did, I just did a lot of listening and comparing what I was doing to like, did, does this stand up against songs I like from other artists that are established, mm-hmm. you know, and just, you know, you know, it's kind of like a being like you, even if like for guys who mix music, you create music, you produce it and you mix it, you listen to, to an established album and then you listen to what you mixed and you, you just like with this sound comparable on the radio, you know what I mean? As a writer, I would do the same thing. Like, is this song, is it as cohesive as some of my favorite artists? It kind of a thing. But then when I got with Fred, it was the first time writing was for a major album and it was being scrutinized. And, um, and you know, everyone had an opinion. I had to learn how to, you know, co-write, group write. And that was the school. And it was there was no class there. It was like hard mm. knocks. One day we're in the <laughs> studio, we're going to write. And I'm like, now this time I'd already been singing, even helping produce the vocals and some of the music and all that. And then we're in a writing session, writing for the next album. And okay, I'm writing now. It's like, okay. And there was yeah. no, no warm up, no, you know, preliminary discussion. There was no like, this is how splits go. It was nothing. We would just, we just start, he just threw me in and we started doing it. And then I learned along the way. And I would learn from him. You know, I would learn from other people. I would learn what worked, what didn't. And just being immersed in the in the environment and just totally like with that was my teacher, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, it was a great teacher as well. I mean, I've, I've had so much more from that point moving forward, but that gave me a lot of confidence because I learned that I had a lot more going than I knew. I was way <laughs> better than I thought I was, you know, so I though that time had paid off. That's a nice discovery. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I wasn't terrible, you know. <laughs> so so I was, I was I was pretty good, you know, at the time. So now you're, I mean, you're an established singer, songwriter, worship leader, pastor, recording artist. Did you ever think that that would be your career choice? Like, was that where you were heading your entire life, or were there other plans before that? You know, in the beginning, it was not. It was not my intention to be a singer, songwriter, or any of that. In the beginning, my father was a pastor, and I admired that. And I thought that my trajectory in life would be to pastor my father's church one day. And I was a protege. Like, I, I've, everything he did, I wanted to do. And, you know, it's a funny story. Like, well, maybe it's not funny. It's kind of cute. But my father would help the people on the streets. We, we passed a church in the inner city of St. Louis. Very dangerous, poor impoverished area liquor stores everywhere you know kind of thing and it's very dangerous and it's just awful 
always it has been that way for so long. And my father would take care of like the people on the street. And there's this one guy, you know, he was an alcoholic, you know, come home from the war kind of thing and just been on the streets for years. My father would make sure he had something to eat. I took after that. And so if I saw a guy like that in the streets, I would walk him to the store, to the corner store and, and buy him, you know, lunch meat and crackers and cheese and some juice. You couldn't buy water back then. It was juice or soda, right? So buy some juice. And those guys say, hey, come on, give me, come on, Sunday, give me some money. I want drink and I'm like no man you can't have drink God loves you and listen I'm like I'm like 16 years old talking to this guy you know in the 40s like no man you can't have alcohol it's not good for you but I'll buy you know and that was our culture and I just feel I just wanted to be like my father and pastor those people and uh, I had no intention of leaving St. Louis we were right in this little church and I'd fallen in love with that and that's what I thought my life would be and so what was the thing that made you realize that that's not necessarily where you were heading? Well, okay, so my father passed away in in 2000. Like as a matter of fact, Y2K. Wow. That day he passed away. Okay. We were we were freaked That's out kidding. for so many reasons. Yeah. <laughs> we were losing yeah. like the world's coming to an end and my dad just passed away like what Golly. it was crazy because remember Y2K, you know, we had all the supplies, because we thought the world was coming to an end. Uh, mm. My dad passed away that morning. Um, so the, the church was gone. He, he knew he was passing away. He gave the church away before he died. And I was lost. Um, mm. So that started, that was the turning point in my life where I knew, well, that's not going to happen. So I, I during that time, I'd actually went on the road with Tyler Perry to do a play. And so okay. I got... I was gone. When I got back, my father died. I was depressed and my life just started to turn against my will. I had no choice in the matter. And Mm. the trajectory went another way. And then I discovered that it was something else. And just through that journey and and it was not a clear picture for me. I never knew what was going on because after my father passed away, I was totally disoriented. I had no idea what my life's purpose was anymore. Because the only purpose wow. I ever thought I had was to pastor the church my father had had pastored for those years. That's all gone. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm I'm lost. I tried to find identity in another ministry. I tried to find it in other things. And and then along that journey, the Lord told me to move to Dallas. Just totally disrupted my life. I moved to Dallas and with literally within two months, I get to Dallas December first. By the end of January, I, sometime in that point, I met Fred Hammond. He invited me to work on his album. By by Good Friday, I'm I'm at the Potter's house recording a live album with Fred Hammond. <laughs> that was not what I thought I was going to be doing at all. Right, right. And mind you, you, here's what a lot of people don't know. By trade, I'm an electrical designer and project manager. So <laughs> my father wouldn't even let me do music when I was a teenager. He was like, you can sing at church, but you got to get a job because you're not going to be well. <laughs> I just never knew yeah, it. I, discovered, <laughs> I just discovered it when really Fred was the first person that made me think that this could be a career. Sure. You know, it's been a long time since Fred and I wrote anything together, man. That, that was an incredible season of my life. And it really got me up and going like, 
you know, those were the, 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 the first awards I'd gotten for writing radio songs. And we produced songs on so, like uh, several, so many artists. Like here's a little, a little um, unknown fact. If, you, if anyone knows who the who the whispers are, right? This is yeah, the whispers are Bowtown Band. Yeah, man, like they were an okay. incredible R&B group from back in the day. Well, you know, me and Fred, you know, worked on a gospel album for them, and I got nice. to write and produce and and be a part of that process. So that was cool. So I've done so many so many cool, cool things that came out of that. But certainly, you know, for his albums and you know, yeah, that was an incredible season. Wow. Now, how did you end up at Gateway? So everything leads to, you know, something else. So I mean, from Fred to I mean, Marvin Sapp to Kirk Franklin to all these different, you know, people I got to work with. Um, it just kind of like, you know, that kind of eventually moved me into certain circles that, mm-hmm. that made me more and more like just I just met more people. So. I was I ended up with Dr. Tony Evans as as a worship pastor uh, for you know Oakland Bible Fellowship. So I was there for right. about six years. While we, while while we were there, we did this racial reconciliation event that was on Daystar back in 2016 in the fall. I don't know if you remember this, but this was around all the different you know police brutality things that were going on, shootings and Trayvon Martin and Michael Mike Brown and all these different things. So. It all culminated, at least at the time, into this race reconciliation thing on Daystar with everybody who was anybody in the Christian community was there. And we shot live prayers and Sammy Rodriguez and James Robinson and, of course, Don Tony Evans, you know, all bishops and Harry Jackson, the late Harry Jackson and so many people from everywhere. OK, they were present at this thing. And and Potter's House. Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, Gateway, and Preston were worship leaders. We all came together to do the worship at Southlake, at Gateway. Okay, okay. First time I've been there, but that's the first time I sang there. And I met their team. We really connected, bonded really well. Um, uh, Pastor Robert and I met, we talked, and and from then on, we would just, they would bring me back, and I would just be a guest artist from time to time. And um, mm-hmm. that's kind of how that relationship started. And it just grew. And that was never like, hey, would you come here? None of that ever happened with me. The Lord one day just told me, that's your church. And that was crazy because I, I'm a worship pastor at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, serving Dr. Tony Evans. I'm also on the elders board. I'm also running because of my project management electrical background. I'm running the, the projects for the, for the sanctuary renovation and the integration project and all these different things. Um, and You're somehow, a busy man. Like, I'm incredibly busy and I'm, I'm releasing my own projects and traveling. I'm doing all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so all this happens and and somehow God navigates that and I obey him and, and everyone mm-hmm. confirms it. This is a word from the Lord and this is crazy. Wow. Um, <laughs> but in that season, I transitioned to gateway and, uh, and that, that all landed the beginning of uh, 2019 in January. 2019. That's a month before the uh, worldwide pandemic. So I guess there was uh, actually, actually, actually one year, just one year exactly. Because uh, I got one year at Gateway, and, and and that was the year we started really slow. Because I was like, okay, Gateway's a big church. You know, there's uh, ten campuses. Yeah, let's get you 
you know, acclimated to, to our culture. I took that year. I led at all the campuses over and over again. I would go out and serve and learn and, and just really soak in the culture and, and the effort in, an effort of taking what I've learned and, and all the wisdom of leadership, but also learn to apply that to the culture and the inner workings of what gateway is. I did that for about a year. 2020 comes around. We do first conference and we were getting into the year before we know it, that everything's shutting down in 2020. And we were yeah. right into all these online recordings, you know, and it's just, yeah, that was a journey, man. And especially in our church, you know, we had so much because not only did you have that side of it with the pandemic and, you know, that was political nature for the country and the world even. And then yeah. you had all the racial tension that broke out. So it was just, there was so much that happened <clears throat> in my like, you know, coming into the organization and, and that just who would ever known that that was what God had in mind. And, and I would be, you know, facing and walking through that, but it was, it was an incredible transition. Given the fact that you were visiting all these various campuses, did you, did you find there was a culture difference between the different locations? You know, That's not, not I mean, there, there were differences based on demographic, you know, so there were some subtle differences, not major. Uh, most people who come to Gateway, Gateway's almost like, uh, I was going to say McDonald's, but when, in our, we talk more like Chick-fil-A because we, Chick-fil-A just has such a high standard. It's a Christian company. Like how we, have a high we brought food into this conversation somehow. It's incredible. <laughs> and I'm hungry. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and not to mention I'm a whole 30, so I can't even have Chick-fil-A right now. But oh, the gosh. point is, <laughs> don't, we won't get into that. But the point is like, you know, when people come to, to, to a gateway campus, you, there's a consistency about it. So you kind of know what to expect. Um, sure. we, there's, there's an intentionality around not everyone's singing the exact same songs, but pulling from a, a very similar song bank or catalog of music. And so mm-hmm. while there may be minor differences, by and large, you know, er, most of those experiences are very similar. And then, of course, you know, the live messages happen at Southlake. All the other campuses get a stream message. So from worship to the message, uh, the message is definitely consistent because it's the exact same message for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not that much. Now, in Jackson Hole, uh, Wyoming, it is very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, Because <laughs> right. it's, it's a totally, totally different culture in every way. Uh, of course, everything sure. else is in the DFW area, so not so much in, in the DFW area. Uh, can we take a few minutes just to chat about your latest project? You've got something going on. Um, ooh, it's ooh. a new new album Congrats. dropping at the end of the month. Am I correct? Absolutely. June 30th, Overflow is uh, will be releasing a live worship album. And uh, I've got a lot to say about that. Um, well, you you, like you, you, go, you go ahead and talk. Um, Aisha and I are just going to sit back and drink our coffee. Well, I'm going to drink my coffee. You're going to drink your tea. And you just go and uh, we'll be back with you in, you know, 15, 20, an hour, hour and a half if you like. I'm kidding. Well, I, you know, I would love to indulge on that, but out of respect for your audience and, and time restriction, I would say that this album is a very different album for me. It's not my first. Uh, it's not my last, but it is my first live album. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the Lord gave me a vision for this album while I was still at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship before I ever got to Gate. Okay. 
and he sh- and he gave me a vision for a global sound, and it was called Overflow, and he gave me this whole concept and this idea of Overflow began to consume my life, and one of the things that really was birthed out of this was such an intimacy with God, and this journey of of the overflow of God's Spirit in my life, and a number <laughs> of different applications of how when God would speak this word to me, what it would mean in different ways. However, I started this journey of writing and pursuing this sound that I never heard. And it, it's really like being a gospel artist. And and like from 20, uh, 2009, I was leading worship at, at, a, at a predominantly white church, but it was multicultural, multi-ethnic church. And so that was like the beginning of like, my worship pastor experience not being immersed in a black church. church. So while I'm doing all this stuff for Fred and Kirk, I'm not doing that on Sundays. I'm singing, Mm -hmm. I'm singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. I'm singing that. Right. Um, I'm singing Hillsong and Bethel and Planet Shakers, you know, New Life. You guys remember that? (laughs) You know, I'm singing all that. Um, and so I'm learning how to navigate two different worlds sure, and two different cultures. And then I start traveling abroad, like going to London and doing worship there. And I'm going to go to Sri Lanka and do worship there. And all these different places I'm starting to go and I'm learning, how do I flow in a way going to, to Tokyo? I start going there every year, leading worship in different places. And mm-hmm. now I have this tension in my life where... Um, I can go this direction or that one. I can be try to become CCM, which I'm not, or I can try to mm-hmm. be replicate what I've done in gospel. And it's like, I don't, that's not me either. Right. This album was the first like produced work of body of work that this all came together from inception. So every mm. song writ- with written with, me and a white person and a person from Australia and, you know, so, mm-hmm. and, you know, the different people I wrote with Mitch Wong and Mia Fields and Zach Rowe and Mark Harris. And just, we all wrote together and God would give me songs in prayer. And then I would finish most of them with a group of writers. Mm. And man, that was the overflow. Here's the idea. If, if one of the concepts of overflow, I'll give it's practical for everyone, whether you're writing an album or not, the, the idea is, Whatever God's going to do in your life, it should be an overflow or rather from the overflow of private intimacy. And I this album is truly the embodiment of what God does when you take him seriously in private Mm -hmm. and things that you don't know are significant in private become incredibly significant publicly. Because the songs that God gave would have never come if there hadn't been an investment of private intimacy with him and opening myself the opportunity to hear something that I would never have heard that then becomes a song for everyone to hear. So that's what Overflow is. It's an experience with God. It's birthed out of intimacy and it's partnered multi-ethnically and the sound is, it reflects all of those things and all those elements. That's exciting. 
It sounds very, it very. sounds very relatable as well. Like the people, because you said it comes from that private moment, and and you know everybody has moments, uh, but they think it's their own, and and very often it is. But it's also relatable because they can they can listen and they can, um, you know, respond basically and 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 know what you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. And like regardless of whatever uh, your life purpose is. What God is producing in your life for the benefit of the world and for his glory is going to be birthed in an intimate relationship between you and him. It starts sure. with receiving Jesus Christ. It starts with salvation. It starts with knowing him um, in a relationship and then knowing him daily and relating mm-hmm. with him, praying, praying daily, seeking him daily to know him intimately. And that process births everything from how you raise your kids to how you uphold the integrity in your business, to what business you actually start being led right. by the spirit. If you can hear the spirit, you can be led by the spirit. And that sure all enough. comes from, from that place. And the overflow of that is the result of what's been planted and invested in privately. That's such good stuff, man. Such good stuff. And it's, it's so necessary. We've been programmed to just have an appreciation for music that comes from a place of religion or or um, just the normal way of doing things. Mm, and yeah. when you bring in that intimacy factor, yes, man, such there's such depth and wells overflowing but it has to come from a place of intimacy and it's just a beautiful thing i'm excited about your project i'm excited about the ministry that will take place because of it and i know that it's gonna do a lot of good in a lot of different places Mm. that is my prayer um, my prayers for it to first and foremost, um, for it to be an opportunity for people to encounter God, to have their own transformational experience with God. That's that's my key word for my ministry, transformational experiences. That's what we do. Sure. We create those transformational experiences so that people can encounter God and 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 develop an intimate relationship of their own. And you know what? It's like there are moments in your life that you get exposed to something and, and not everything changes your life. Right. But when you see how, when Jesus meets like the woman at the well and different individuals throughout the gospel, you know, even Paul on, on the road to Damascus, when Jesus meets someone, it is a transformational experience and their life is never the same. But what marks that experience is an ongoing life of intimacy and relationship with him. And that's what our goal is. I've had those experiences for myself. Even as a believer, I've had moments of transformational um, change and experiences that have that have totally redefined how I see the God I already know. And so it's not just for the believer, but it's for even for the believer who needs a resetting in the way they see God and in the way that they experience him on a daily on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our pastor's been talking about um experiencing transformation and not behavioral modification 
but spiritual transformation. And again, that comes from intimacy and putting that time in and listening and worshiping God. Like that stuff is, is from a secret place, you know, I'm reminded of that word. He says, he that dwells in the secret place of the most high will abide under the shadow of the almighty. And that secret place is not a corporate place, (laughs) you know, that secret place is is one-on-one and but from and everybody will in turn have be able to benefit. Yeah, and from that, basically what you're saying, Aisha, from that still comes now the overflow from your own life, right? Right. Mm, so yes, it, it's, yes, it yes. just kind of grows and grows and, and spreads that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I take these words from Jesus. I believe it's in, in John 15. He talks about how his, how his friends obey him. And if you love me, you keep my commandments. It, right. it, basically, what God is saying that from love, you learn to obey what God's laws are. It, it doesn't sure. happen the other way around. You don't learn the laws and then love God. You fall in love with God and then you learn to obey him. Mm-hmm. And you, you will never, ever master discipline that's not inspired by love. And so right. when, you, when you understand the foundation of re, the reason God sent Jesus. It was for love. You know, the pattern of God is that. I mean, you you see the children of Israel are delivered and set free before they ever learn about what his laws are. And God right. God is always about the relationship before he's about the regulation. And for us, mm-hmm. the relationship, it's not for us to say, well, you know, I'm not all about religion. And religion is essentially just a, you know, set of practices based on your admiration and worship for for God, but right. that religion is baseless without love. Right. So it, it it's valid according to James when it's placed in the in the context of a relationship, and it's only then possible to do what God says if you fall in love with the God who said it, and mm-hmm. that's the journey, and that's the wrestle. But that's also where I see so much of the benefit and why I believe these transformational experiences are so powerful, because when you encounter God, it helps you to fall in love with him either for the first time or all over again. Oh, sure. Got to say, I'm really motivation. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to preach in here. Though. I didn't yeah. do all that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like you said, you could go on and on about it. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the, the new album. And like you said, it's out uh, June 30th. Yeah, June 30th. The full album comes out. And I'm telling you, I just cannot wait. It's going to be so exciting. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, hanging with us on Between the Grooves. Man, this has been awesome. I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm following you guys so I can now awesome. start to to listen to what you guys do and I'm I'm incredibly grateful that you guys have me on. Thank you Aisha, thank you. Thank James. you. I appreciate you both for this has been awesome. Wow, really enjoyed that conversation with Michael Bethany. You can check out his website michaelbethany.com. Check out his music and everything that he's up to. Mhm, sounds good. And right here we're going to take a listen to some artist advice from my girl Stacia Hepburn. I would say if you are speaking about worship leading, make sure your heart is in the right place with the Lord. Let your worship leading flow from a heart that is 100% centered and connected with Jesus. It's important. Kind of ties in with what we were talking about with Michael. 
today and um, the level of intimacy that's necessary for well with everything that we do and having that overflow. Yeah, she said it best. I, I honestly have nothing to add. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, thank you for tuning in to Between the Grooves and uh, checking out our conversation with Michael Bethany. Thanks to Stacia for uh, dropping in that artist advice as well. And thank you to Justine, our producer, who's back after being under the weather for a couple of weeks there. Um, Justine, Justine. Justine makes it happen for us, that's for sure. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to Fate Strong Today's Between the Grooves podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, would you consider sharing it with your friends, rating our podcast, or giving us some love on your socials to your amazing friends and followers will only help us reach more people. We'd also love to hear from you and share your feedback in an upcoming episode. Send your video or written message to Aisha and James on Facebook and Twitter at Between Grooves or email us anytime. Hello at faithstrongtoday.com. 